On Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's partners, The Sandbox, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities and live streams. You have a different uh, trust in your government, though. We have a significantly <laughs> larger amount of trust in our government. Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will debate whether teacher vaccinations should be part of the terms of employment, how one prominent political candidate believes that one teacher could teach three to 400 students at one time online. And our guest this week is professor and author Jordan Shapiro. So this is this is like one of the best weeks of the year for video games. Mm. Um, and so considering we are obligated by contract to talk about video games <laughs> in, in the first segment of this podcast, um, video um, game news. E- E3 is the, um, is the world's largest video game conference. Mm. Um, I've actually, I probably mentioned it before. I've been to E3 before. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to write, um, I used to do a lot of freelance writing for MMO websites um, and covered MMOs and got sent to E3 to cover MMOs for a, 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 a video game website. It's like one of the top five coolest experiences of my entire life. Wow. Um, so so E3 is like nothing you've ever seen before. Um, and And so, you know... There's a lot of cool stuff. There's always a lot of cool stuff. Um, I thought it was neat, and I wasn't surprised to see that they announced an expansion to Assassin's Creed Valhalla, um, mm. but also announced that a Discovery Tour version of Assassin's Creed Valhalla is coming out. I mean, that doesn't feel like a surprise. We had the producer of Assassin's Creed Discovery Tour on the show, yes. like about a. I guess probably about a year, year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and and he said that for the second one they were developing Discovery Tour alongside of the the of mainline the game. game. Yeah. So of course they were developing a Discovery Tour at the same time. Um, so that's really great. So that means it's we're gonna fantastic. get a we're gonna get a triple A quality. Um, video game teaching students about Vikings and Norse mythology and mm-hmm. Norse culture. That sounds pretty damn rad to me. So, so yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited about that. I, I wonder how many, what would be interesting to know is how many school districts are using that. Uh, there's not a lot of chatter on social media about it. And I think yeah. there should be, there should be more. Um, you know, you always hear about some typical kind of different things as far as game-based learning, you know, Minecraft and and a few other things. But really, this is a super immersive, it's super immersive worlds that are just that are just like you just said, connected to the authentic video game. So they're not making some kind of little patch something on the side. This is the actual video game, and then. Um, turn so that it could just be have an educational tour type of format, which is awesome. Yeah. So I, I hope that they can actually get their product out to more people out there, more teachers and, and their students that are interested. Someone needs to develop an education um, enterprise centric platform for distributing like AAA games. Like it need, it'll need yeah. to be like steam it's or kind of, the Epic yeah. Game Store, or um, you know, the EA Origin. One of those, like the big guys, mm-hmm. need to develop uh, an, uh, a storefront for education, yeah, um, and get it curated by someone, people who know what games, what, what it is, yeah, you know, fits. you know, yeah. Hell, I'll do it. But there are a lot. Of, <laughs> we know, uh, we know. I mean, I could probably name on my on on my hands. You know, the yeah. people that would be perfect for a job like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being a curator of games at a at a real storefront, someone like Paul Darvazi or Zach Hartsman or 
you know, Steve Isaacs or, mm-hmm. or, you know, even myself or you, or there's tons of people that, yeah. we know, uh, Matt Farber could do this for yeah. sure. Um, there's a few people we know that could, that would really do a really good job at this. They just need to invest a little time and energy into yeah. it and then offer grants or something on like, um, you know, money so that they can be, it can be distributed across multiple districts and, or multiple schools in a district or licenses or something like yeah. that. Needs some, to yeah. Some kind of ease of entry. Cause you're right. Otherwise it's really, it just feels really disconnected. Someone that could just bring it all together into one place. It's similar to our former sponsor. They had, I think that's the kind of idea that they had as far as bringing a bunch of different types of games um, together into one platform where you could just purchase one subscription and have access to all of them. Um, I just wonder about, you know, sometimes about the, those corporate, you know, entities, whether they're just even in, interested at all, you know, there's probably not that much money in it. You know, there's no, there's no money in it. There's no money. There's no money, there's no money, money in, in education. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, know, they have to do it out of the goodness of their hearts for sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. So 100%. it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a stretch. There's not many of those big AAA organizations that are invested in education. Epic games is probably the one yeah. um, that is the most invested in education right now. Other than if Microsoft did it, Microsoft, for example, yeah. themselves. Um, so a, a bunch of other things came out. Yeah, I, I linked this trailer on my Twitter, uh, but we're going to put it in the show notes. You have got to watch this trailer. So first off, Outer, it is the most self-aware trailer for the video game industry that I've ever... It's the best trailer I've ever seen for a game. It yeah. is absolutely hysterical i'm gonna link it in the show notes the outer worlds is an awesome game if you've never played it it's almost hot takey but as and you'll know it's serious because it's coming from a guy i love fallout yeah outer worlds does fallout almost better than fallout like it is it is an almost better version of fallout it is such a good game and so Outer Worlds 2 will be awesome, I'm sure. Uh, but the trailer is absolutely hysterical um, and, and worth cheeky. a watch. Oh, it's, yes. very, it's, it's very, very good. Um, and, and the other cool news, and I, I went through and scrolled through about 80 articles to find some of the things I was most interested in. Uh, the Nintendo Direct is tomorrow, so we've missed that. We won't be able to... Talk about what Nintendo's mm. going to announce because the Nintendo press do? conference is is tomorrow. Um, but Bethesda, who is, you know, by most accounts probably the most critically acclaimed game studio there is. Yes. They their intellectual property is you know Fallout and uh, Elder Scrolls, Scrolls. Mm-hmm. right? Basically those two games, and then you know some other side stuff. Dishonored. They made Dishonored as well. Um, but their brand new, like epic IP is called Starfield, and it launches in November on November 11th, 2022. So that's my birthday. Mm. Bethesda does a really good job of launching games on my birthday. Wow, uh, they've done. It must be something or- special on that day. It's because of me. Uh, so yeah, no, they launched Skyrim. For example, came out on um, 11. 11-11. November 11, 20- And it's still so good. Still one of the best games. My I've God. played. I, I, we were talking about it on Twitter mm-hmm. the other night. I've played Sky. I've played Skyrim recently, and it's, it's installed on my computer right now. And I'm still playing it. Ten years. So it's good. Been ten years almost. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's still good. So, but Starfield. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see what it's like. Um, they called it an Obi Wan Kenobi simulator. So hmm. uh, interesting. Who knows? Yeah, that might I, get some people. Yeah, I, I saw the preview and I was like, I don't. It was underwhelming. Yeah, <laughs> almost everything they've done related to it has been pretty underwhelming. They haven't no. really shared any game gameplay mm-hmm. really at all. Yeah, um, that but that's, be tip, that's pretty typical Bethesda. So you know. I mean, you know what you're getting when you when you when they announce a new Fallout game, you know what you're getting. Yeah. Right. You're getting something post-apocalyptic at, at the very least. 
and there's definitely a um a style like it's that that yeah. 50s style but post-apocalyptic you know what you're getting with elder scrolls mm-hmm. you're getting high fantasy right lots of mountains and trees and water and you know lush plains and all of this epic stuff um now we're getting space i guess yeah um and we'll space see exploration baby <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what happens but there's your there's your e3 update if you weren't getting any you know i don't know how many educators actually are, like our video game coverage but here you're getting it anyways so you know it's it's our it's our 10 minutes of indulgence in uh in a, in a crazy world of education um so we don't agree on this at all i don't think and this is interesting so we put a poll out Mm-hmm. Um, um, last week, so um, asking, uh, should all teachers be vaccinated unless they have a well-documented medical condition preventing them from receiving any sort of vaccine? Mm. Should this be in future terms of employment? Mm-hmm. Um, and 63.2% of people said yes, mm. and 36.8% said no. So um, a fairly clear majority said that all teachers should be vaccinated yeah. and that all teachers should have a requirement to be vaccinated. Yeah. Um, and, and this is my opinion as well. I, I agree with that. I'm on that side and you're not. Nope. <laughs> um, it's, it's too easy to say yes, actually. And I think that that's the reason why on a Twitter poll, people would say yes, until you really thought through what the implications of saying that, especially the part of, now, should all teachers be vaccinated? Yes, I agree with you. Yes, they should be. Should it be part of the future terms of employment is a very, you are starting to tread upon some things that you don't want to go ahead and be treading onto if you're an educator. So you're agreeing to things as an educator that can later then also be manipulated in terms of, of employment as far as to make you do other things. And as a former uh, person that was negotiating contracts, this is like red flag central. Whenever you, whenever it seems like something that should be fairly obvious as far as something that's you uh, there's a strong feeling a strong passion towards it and i i agree about that as far as we should all be vaccinated but forcing people not forcing them but just saying hey if you're going to do this and you have to do this other thing um though it seems like the right thing to do it's too easy of a next step then to for something else then for it to become um basically the, the next level, you already agreed to this. So now it's you, we have set precedent and then now the precedent is set for this other thing. And that happens a lot in negotiation, especially with uh, union negotiations. It's it's all about precedent setting. So you want to, things like this immediately bring out red flags in me. That's what I thought about when I looked at it right away. I was like, yes, yeah, sure. I agree with that. But then I saw the part of the future terms of employment. And as a person that I've been there at the table and I've been at uh, place or at uh, things with our union, as far as our state union and, and, you know, negotiation, um, let's call it strategies. And you don't want to agree to things like this. Plus, this also makes me fear because we're talking usually about public employees. If this is a private school, this is something completely different. So if you guys are working at a private school, I hate to tell you this, but you're screwed. <laughs> you, 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 have base, you are working for an institution that is a private institution that can decide all of their rules. They get to decide all the rules as long as they're playing by the government's overall rules. But when you're talking about a public institution, it's it's a different animal. So in this case, I'm talking about public institutions. In some schools, some districts, this it could actually end up being the the fact. I but in the United States, Mike, I just don't even see this even happening. I mean, there was a a post about um, I'm, I'm talking about 
how many people even agree to this? You know what I mean? As far as they're on our, you know, the left wing side, let's just call it even on the leftish side or just even the middle and say that we should all be vaccinated. Um, I think it was the state of Vermont got 80% of their people, uh, of their citizens uh, vaccinated. And that's the highest so far, as far as in the United States. It just shows you how reluctant a huge majority of our population is to doing things. So I don't think it would happen anyway, but just hypothetically, it's a scary thing to agree to these types of things. And that's the reason, that's the, the angle that I'm coming at it from. Not that I don't agree. And if it did happen, I think it would be for the right reasons. So if it did end up happening in a state, you know, wherever it might be, and they said, this is part of our, you know, of be, be, being a teacher, you have to do X. Um, I think we're on the other side of this now too, in the United States. I, I, I just, I was out shopping today with my wife. You would have never known that there was COVID ever. Like I didn't see it. There was, it's like a, it never happened. So we're like so far down already so quickly down the road of like forgetting about it that's this kind of stuff it would never fly so anyway that's my big giant long take of of the reason why i said no to this do you agree with requiring students to be vaccinated to attend public school yeah uh again in the united states you have a do i agree that you should be yes no, no specific, but it's a, it's a requirement in, in, can, most, you, in most states. You can opt out. All you can opt out. Right, for, you know, okay. So the opting out. With, without without a doctor's reason. You can opt right. out. I'm telling no, you, there's you in the United for States. for religious reasons you can, or whatever, you, too. You can right. go in and say, sign a piece of paper, literally. You say, nope, I'm not going to do that. Give me the piece of paper. And, and parents that know this, whatever, you know, this this fact, can go in there and just request it. It's signed they get to opt out and there's nothing you can really do about it. Like you just said, it's freedom of, of religion or, or, and, or there's a list of all of these other no, things. But we can you know, agree that that's a bad thing, right? We can agree that it's not a, a good, safe thing. You're right. right. The government. Yes. I told, I agree with you. Yes. Yes. But, yeah. but again, these kids are going, are coming to an, a public institution to go ahead and be part of this thing of this of this of this school and i don't know if the kids and the t and the teachers as far as the terms of employment are in the same we're we're talking the same thing i, I mean you well, may we, think that we is are the same only, thing uh, we are only in the sense that um we require certain amounts of our population to be require certain amounts of our population to be vaccinated but don't aren't going to require other parts um and we do this to protect kids from themselves yet you know you know we clearly know that there are adults in especially the i shouldn't say i'm gonna i'm gonna rephrase it because i was about to get myself into trouble we we know for sure that there are adults that are so dumb that they need laws in order to protect themselves from themselves Yes, um, but we still have the opposite argument, which these are two clashing forces. It's called government control over what you get to decide to go ahead and do, especially related to your health. And I think I said that several times in this thread and the safety of everybody. So you have these two clashing forces. When you allow the government to go ahead and take control and decide your things for you, depending upon who are the people it wasn't that even that long ago mike again we just quickly forget the people that were in charge there and the people that donald trump put into power to make decisions on our behalf could quickly decide a million different things on our behalf mm -hmm. you know if we had given up those rights and that's the reason why those things are there kind of to be able to go ahead and play that safeguard so that a person that is way out there and somehow magically, weirdly, strangely gets elected to be the president can't abuse those powers to be able to make some kind of mass crazy decision. It is a good idea. I agree with you. I agree people yeah. should be vaccinated. The kids too, and everybody should be doing this. But when we give up all our ability our choices and we give them up to the government and make and let them make the choices for us 
that could end up in the wrong in the wrong side. And that's really, I mean, that's kind of the basis of the a lot of the things that happen in the United States. It's kind of like how much power do we give the federal and the state governments, the local governments, versus how much freedom do we have ourselves? Now, some people use that and abuse that, you know, that thing as far as the personal freedoms to some crazy extents, you know, gun laws and so on and so forth to be able to do things that are just stupid. Yes. But we need those things there in order to kind of play that, that back and forth type thing. So that's, and I, I trust me, I, I don't find it. Uh, I'm not finding it pleasure, like finding pleasure in, in debating on that side of the thing. It's just that I have been in some negotiations where it felt like, Oh yeah, we should do X, whatever it was. And it was like, no, we shouldn't because that sets the precedent for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And eventually you've given up everything. And you were like, how the hell did we do this? And in this case, we're talking about your decisions to make your own health decisions. So yeah. that's that's the reason why I'm saying it's very connected to uh, pro-life, pro-choice types of things. I mean, people are going to go like, yeah, vaccination. For, we're talking about health things. So whenever you talk about health and you allow the government to make those decisions for you, bad things can happen. I I think I, I that's what I'm saying. I, maybe I'm wrong. And obviously some other people believe that I'm wrong. Cause it's 63% say, yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely, and we were talking in the on education, um, Twitter about how this might be a cultural thing too. Um, you know, especially like I asked my wife, for example, and she didn't even like, I barely stopped talking before she said yes. Like, like it didn't, she didn't even hesitate. And mm -hmm. I didn't hesitate to think yes either. Sure. And I think you would, if you talk to a lot of Canadians, they would also say yes. You have a different uh, trust in your government though. We have a significantly <laughs> larger amount of trust in our government. hundred percent. Yes. Totally. Um, we, we know we also know, you know, and this is, um, you know, health in the United States is very individualistic because you don't have universal health care. So everyone's health is different and everyone's, you know, it's it's a financial thing. It's it's something that dominates your mm -hmm. your decision making in a lot of ways in your life. Yes. Where I don't think about my health care at all. No. You know what I mean? That, it, like not yeah. even a single, not even a single bit. Like yeah. if, if I'm sick, I go to the damn doctor and yeah. I don't, I don't think about anything. If I have to go to the hospital, I go to the hospital. Yeah. I don't even think about it. I just go. Um, I don't have to decide, you know, you guys have to even decide which hospital you're allowed to go to in some yeah. cases, which is insanity sure. to me. Um, yeah. You know, and so, you know, I've seen, and I live the effects of what, you know, a um, a mass healthcare institution can do for the health of the populace, right? Sure. You know, Canada is a very healthy country, generally speaking. I, th I think we have, you know, some of the similar issues with like obesity and stuff like that. But generally speaking, um, you know, when we have problems, we get things taken care of, you know, without hesitancy. Sure. And so no, I definitely think that there's a cultural issue. Yeah. I mean, so. if, if we had the same type of system, I don't even think this would even be a discussion, but then we wouldn't be the United States. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? That, be, yeah. I'll tell you that right now. It, it just, it wouldn't <laughs> be this country. Right. Well, cause and, it, cause this, cause we are not at all. <laughs> we're, we're actually, I felt that we were, creeping towards the idea of having a, some sort of nationalized healthcare probably 16 years ago. Right. I would say maybe 16, 12 to 16 years ago, I felt like this could actually happen right now. I think we're further from that than we were 16 years ago in way further. Like in other words, I can, I actually, don't see it happening in when I'm alive. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to be alive maybe another 50 years. I'm hoping 40, 50 years. It will not happen in the 40. That's how different we are mm -hmm. than, than the, than, than, and it a hundred percent makes sense.
Mm-hmm. There's ways to do it where everybody could benefit, where you're not going to destroy everybody. You're not going to do whatever it might be, but we're further away than we were, than when we were, you know, where I thought, oh, we could be headed in that direction. You have Bernie, you got this, we got some ideas, ways to be able to happen. Obamacare, uh, kind of like a, just like a, a, a preview. Hey, you know, we could do this and yeah. It's not going to, it's not, right. gonna, I, I don't see it happening and yeah. and I hope I'm wrong. I hope I am a hundred percent wrong, but that's yeah, how, me too. that's how far away we are from that, man. Sucks. There you go. So, <laughs> so Eric, Eric Adams is running for New York city mayor and uh, I'm, uh, he's having a bad week. Um, <laughs> let's, let's just say, um, <laughs> he's having a, he's having a bad week. Actually, um, to compound what we're going to talk about, I just watched um, last week tonight with John Oliver. It's it's um, it's it's shown on Sunday. My wife and I usually watch it on Monday, so we watched it um, um, a couple hours ago here, and he was on there having a bad night too. Um, hmm. um, but uh, it, you know, talk about someone basically handing their main competitor, like, you know, Andrew Yang is going to be the mayor of New York city because this guy just imploded this week. And <laughs> it's, 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 it's all about education. Yeah. Um, so important. It, you know, Eric Adams says with new technology, you don't need school children to be in a school building with a number of teachers. It's just the opposite. You could have one teacher teaching three to 400 students. Dang, uh, that's, that's, I, the mo- that's a terrible statement. I've taught <laughs> 400 students before. I almost had a friggin' mental breakdown, um, and it, it's it's not sustainable, um, and you know it was just awful. And it gets worse. He he tweeted or he, he said that uh, kids only need to get six to seven hours of sleep per <laughs> night. You know that's medically just totally not true, um, and have only one teacher teaching three to four hundred kids. So. Um, mm. You know, and then he goes and takes his kids to school in New Jersey. Um, You know, what (laughs) what many number of ways do you want to talk about how wrong this stuff is? I just think that things like this, though, this obviously horrible take. Yeah. And and a belief in a specific way that things could be done is actually more prominent in the public outside of the educational sphere. Let's say, let's take yeah. a step outside of edge Twitter, outside of the thing, outside of the people, just a normal, my neighbor, one of my neighbors. If I, if you propose ideas, something like this, and it's a prominent political figure and you say, Hey, and, and because of this, we're going to save taxpayers X amount of money, right? Because, I mean, that's usually what comes along with this. It, education is super expensive. And we've said that before. It should be expensive. But it's super expensive to the point that certain um, people are paying X amount of dollars in their taxes. And they know it's going directly into this system. If you knew you were going to have that amount reduced because you really we really didn't need to do that. We could just have these three, 400 kids and this one person to be able to go ahead and, and uh, teach them. And it still would be the same. Dang. You know, you can really get some people on board with that. Yeah. And that's horrible. It's like, talk about terrible takes. There's some good takes as far as some back and forth conversation that can be had in education. We have them on the show, you know, some, just some things, some decisions that could go either way. And there's some good points on both sides. This is just stupid. This is like on, and it's on the, not only on the fringes, but it helps to encourage that kind of super fringe thinking that our job can be done at, you know, one person can manage 400 uh, kids. And that is going to be totally fine is we're going to get the same results. It's like, no, <laughs> so stupid, but yet promoting these ideas. And it sucks because that's that will stick in some people's minds. They will remember that. They will say, we should just cut that down, cut down the things, take X amount of dollars out of education and let's make sure we do this. So it's, it's so terrible, but it, I, it, it doesn't surprise me. You know, I was wondering if he was a Democrat. I actually went and looked up. Yeah, what is like 
So because it's actually the Democratic primary for the mayor's election. Oh, I didn't know that. Right? Well, he's a like, Democrat. Like, yeah, he's a, <laughs> so he's a Democrat. Yes. Oddly, he's a Democrat. Um, you know, because there there will be a mayor's election um, where there will be a Republican versus a Democrat, I, I guess, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, Republican is going to win the New York City mayor's election. Um, so whoever wins this is going to be the mayor. Um, okay. And it's 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 not going to be this dude. Um, <laughs> I, you know, talk about talk about imploding your you know your chances to be mayor in one week. Um, uh. But but he basically you know he pissed off you know the unions and probably pissed off a bunch of parents at the same time. Absolutely. Uh, yes. So good good work, buddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll see <laughs> when we come back, um, we're going to talk to, uh, our good friend, Jordan Shapiro. So stay with us. We are building this virtual community of educators who share an interest in game design and teaching new skills. We will use this space to connect, to collaborate, and innovate with Sandbox. That's Sebastian Bourget. He's the co-founder and chief operating officer at The Sandbox. This community is here to provide guidance, support, feedback, and suggestions on how to best use The Sandbox within the context of teaching and learning how to make video games. It allows also to connect experts and educators bringing together existing creators and members of the Sandbox game platform community with professional educators. The Sandbox community has grown into a vibrant space of 100 plus educators. How can you get involved? More to come later in the episode. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest is a father of two and stepfather of two more. He teaches in Temple University's Intellectual Heritage Program and is a senior fellow for the Joan Gantz Cooney Center at Sesame Workshop. He's also a non-resident fellow in the Center for Universal Education at the Brookings Institution. His previous book, The New Childhood, received critical acclaim, including from us, and has been published in 11 languages. This is his third time. Joining us on the podcast, welcome Jordan Shapiro. It's great to be here for the third time. Exciting. So, Jordan, draw a line for us from you know video games and games and education expert to advisor on parenting in a digital world to shattering norms of fatherhood and parenting identity. Um, have there been moments you know that brought you to these kind of big fairly large shifts in your life and career? Or do you, do you kind of more see it as like a natural progression of things? Um, you know, I think the transition to father figure was a pretty natural progression. I mean, so much about oh, that I wrote about in the new childhood was about the way that, that, that changes in the world were changing the way we think about ourselves and changing the way we think about identity and, and the need to reimagine the ways that we think about identity so that we don't um, re react with hate and we don't react with, with, with violence and we don't react with, 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 with anger. And it was about teaching kids how to, how to manage a world where, where so many of the familiar boundaries were were dissolving and so the, in that way i think it was it was it was a natural shift and in many ways father figures about the same things just without the technology it's about a lot of the 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 large cultural shifts that are happening and how we as uh, as as dads but i think it's 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 applicable to 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 anyone who deals with children need to really think about how we guide uh, how we guide our children or, or the children we care for um, in, in ways that help them deal with this moment in time. And then, of course, how we have to change the way we think about ourselves so that we ourselves can manage this moment in time, because we yeah. often think it's hard for kids, but it's hard for grownups, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so I, I think a lot of skeptics and a lot of folks on the right, you know, that I, I was thinking, you know, the Jordan Peterson fans out there um, would look at this book and just ask why. Um, <laughs> I feel I feel like I can see it now. Why do I need to be a feminist? Um, isn't that just isn't this just another book meant to make my boys soft? I'm using air quotes for these words. <laughs> he, he's, you know, he's trying to make us hate Homer Simpson. 
Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, while I suspect that's not the target market for this book, um, I would I would expect you, though, to maybe have some sort of response for for why you think this is an important book right now and and why you thought that this was a problem in need of a solution. Yeah, um in some ways, I, w I wish that were the target audience um, because because yeah. because uh, I, I wish that those people would read it. And in some ways, I did write it um, when I decided to finally sit down and write this book. Um, uh, part of it was because I had read books like the Jordan Peterson book and read books like um, so many of the 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 current crop of of, of masculinity books. Um, and and what I found when I read them is that most of these books actually started in a really positive way, right? Where they where they described what was hard about being uh, identifying as a man in this current moment in time, why uh, why cultural changes were, were, were making men feel uh, destabilized and, and, and feel like the ground was falling out from underneath them. And I thought that, that some of those books did a really good job of describing that crisis point. The problem is that their solution to that crisis point was, oh, we have to go back to 1950s style, stoic male uh, domination, and you know, all, all these really toxic, you know, what they call toxic masculinity, all, the, all those ideas. And so I wanted to say, hey, it makes perfect sense to me that this moment in time would feel destabilizing and you know when we when we've all learned to men have learned to identify through a a, a lens of, of of patriarchal masculinity and when you see that uh crumbling around you how do you make sense of yourself and i wanted to give an image because i realized there wasn't an image for how to do that in a way that wasn't in what I consider backwards thinking. Um, um, I shouldn't even say what I consider backwards thinking because it really is a kind of let's look to the past and it's this idea that, that, that the current changes are destroying something, but we know they're helping a lot of things also. So you don't look back because then you have to throw out all the good stuff. Instead, you have to reinvent so that you can maintain all the good stuff and deal with the, the real crises and the real dilemmas. And, and so much about of this book is about what I think men really do want all men. I mean, I don't really think it's a partisan issue. I mean, I think if you ask most men, uh, how do you feel about gender equality? They're going to say, I'm all for it. Um, and um, um, the, the, the problem is that, that we don't have images about how to do that. And we don't have um, and we don't have models of it. And so I wanted to offer a model. But what's strange is that is that in order to do that, you have to do it in a way where you're not sort of offering a dominating viewpoint of what things are, because then you're part of that old paradigm. So so the, the challenge of the book was to go, hey, how do I offer a a, a sort of structural model for how people can arrive at their own decision. You know, there's nothing, I mean, you both know, there's nothing in this book that says this is how you should be. There's a lot in this book that says this is how you can look at who you are in order to come up with a, with a better idea for yourself of who you want to be. You know, I'm sure there's been a lot of great responses to the book. I, I tweeted, you know, as I was reading it, uh, you know, a couple days ago that I, I'm loving it. I think it's, phenomenal um but i suspect the bad responses might be a little more informative uh, in terms <laughs> in terms of you know where society is on these topics so let's talk about you know you got in you know we were talking off air about it and it might be a little more benign than than i originally thought but you know someone burning your book and sending you a video of that for example what what do responses and you've got clearly gotten you know worse than that um what do responses like that you know say to you well <laughs> you know um <sighs> you know what because because you say it's not a partisan thing but definitely responses to this book can be fairly divided along partisan lines i imagine um so i'm, I'm totally interested in you know you know, you, you just put the word feminist in anything and the whole <laughs> world comes crashing down. Right. So, yeah, so yeah, what, what is this telling you. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting, I, I'm getting, I'm getting really, as you said, divided responses, polarized responses. On the one hand, I'm getting a ton of 
positive feedback, feedback from people going, oh my goodness, this is a book that, that I didn't even realize was necessary, yeah. but it, but it, but it's, it's so obviously needed right now. And it's so, um, um, and it's so helpful in, in, in what it does. But then I'm also getting the, 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 um, the angry responses. I mean, some of them are stupid. Some of them are just sort of, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the obvious you're an idiot kind of things. Um, as you said, the, you know, why do you want to ruin man manhood? You know, why do you hate men? Um, you know, nonsense like that. But, but I think the larger thing, the thing I'd rather focus on actually, cause I think it, it it's, uh, useful for people to understand, and it's something that I realized in all of my research for this book, is that the way that men in, within the model of patriarchal masculinity have been taught to um, insult or to or, or to or to try to assert dominance over other men is to uh, feminize them. And so that gets mixed with this, with this, all these images of subjugation, whether that's, Hey, you're a girl, Hey, you're a sissy. Yeah. Hey, you know, but then there's also the homophobia and the transphobia and the racism that gets mixed in with that. It's almost like anything that doesn't equal white male m masculine privilege has to get, has to, you know, we just, we just sort of cut you down a notch by saying, you know, you're, you're by using these slurs and almost always these slurs in, uh, include some level of misogyny by which i mean some level of, of feminizing the person that's on the other end of it you know so so and, and we do this you know uh, uh, we're three men talking about this we we've all we've all been in locker rooms i'm sure in our in our lives definitely in our childhood so we can remember what middle school's like where that where you get called all these these names that sort of apply, imply that you're somehow feminine right um that imply that you're somehow not male enough um and, and i think it's important the reason i'm focusing on that is because one of the reasons i wanted to to call father figure, you know, call, make the subtitle of the book, how to be a feminist dad is because I wanted to, re to, to really emphasize how much that misogyny under, uh, underlies so much of the homophobia, the transphobia, the racism, that, that it's all mixed in together in, in what, what some researchers call intersectionality. When my oldest son was only two or three years old, he's now going to be in high school this next year, which I can't even believe. Um, I clearly remember him choosing these amazing pink sunglasses. They had rhinestones <laughs> on them and they were huge. And that was his favorite pair of sunglasses. And he wore them everywhere, uh, including even to preschool a few years later. I mean, this was like he was two or three. And then, you know, he was probably four when he was doing that. And I remember thinking when he picked those, he chose those. I'm like, hey, good for you. You know, I was like, you know, good for you. Uh, like, my wife and I were talking like he had any idea what the societal norms were for colors, right? And it had my wife and I thinking today, and we were talking about it, about societal pressures to label our kids even before yeah. they're born. Um, you choose their colors of their clothes, uh, of their rooms, blues and pinks, you know, like that's a specific things. And you're, you're either this category or this category, Um and even obviously corporate yeah. has bought into that that thing and 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 pushed those those images and 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 I think it's getting it's possibly moving and shifting but it's still there it's definitely still there even choosing the toys that they play with uh, I, I I know you had some different references as far as within the book about these types of things too um, or the activities that we choose for them to participate in. Um, so I don't know if you have an answer or solution to this, but maybe Taco expand more on this of what are your thoughts on the societal pressures and what do we do to break out of these ridiculous norms that, that we basically continue to perpetuate each time we decide that we're going to participate in this, in this game that continues on and on. We pass that on obviously to our kids too. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it, I'm not sure if you have an answer. <laughs> well, well, and it's especially hard. It's especially hard for 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 parents, I think, um, because even when we recognize that some of those, like the blue pink uh, dichotomy, are are absurd, uh, we also fear for what happens when those societal pressures hit our hit our kids, the the potential bullying, the th things like that, and it puts us in a, it puts us in a in a in a hard place to 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 deal with it. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, and also they're absurd. I mean, they don't even make any sense, right? Um, you know, if you look at the the, the history of pink, right? It's only been a, a considered a feminine color for I, I don't I don't know exactly the, the the amount of time, but it wasn't that before the 20th century, right? Like that 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 happened at some point, and it became a kind of marketing thing, and and now we're sort of stuck in in this model. You know, I, I've always talked to my kids about it from the time they were very little. Um, I certainly would have, would have let them go to school in whatever they wanted to go in school with. And, 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 in, and in many cases they did, but then, you know, as parents, we also see those days when they come home where they've sort of been like, I don't want to push against the, the social pressures anymore. And of course we can't force them <laughs> to, do, to, to do it as much as I wish I could. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things I talk about in father figure is, is that often a lot of parents think talking about it or calling it out is not the right thing to do as, as, as a as a parent, you know, um, I tell a story about being in Target in the book, and uh, I'm, I'm talking to my kids about, you know, why are there why are there why is there a different aisle for for Legos for uh, for for girls and Legos for boys? Like this doesn't really make any 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 sense to me. Um, you know, it makes sense. I guess it makes sense from a from a from a marketing standpoint. If your uh, goal is just sell more Lego, then <laughs> then I can see why you might do do that. But but from a standpoint uh, of 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 gender it doesn't make sense and and i was at and i and i remember standing in target asking my kids about it and i and and some stranger coming up to me and going why why are you doing that why don't you just let them be like why don't you why are you trying to kill their kill their fun like what like why aren't boys allowed to like what they want and and it was the, the implication that i w- was that i was somehow like ruining their innocence by pointing out the fact that there was a a social injustice being perpetuated here and it, and i remember thinking to myself at this moment, like, what is ruining innocence more? Continuing to perpetuate the injustice that asks them to conform to things that may not feel right to them or telling them that they don't have to. To me, I think we actually preserve innocence by calling these things out. And I think that's the important thing for parents to realize. Um, um, but again, I, I, I say that with a full recognition because I see it in my own kids, the the, the, the difficulty of of having to deal with all the, the the pressures of social status in a in a in a school atmosphere. I couldn't help but think while I was reading just you know, and Glenn has touched on it, and and so I'm glad that we're we're here talking about constructs. And there's, you know, this whole it's 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 almost a story of the things that we've constructed, you know, that now need to be broken down. Um, you know, and you reference, you know, and this is where I, I got thinking, and I'm gonna read more about it, but you know, the legacy of of people like Reagan, you know, talking <laughs> talking about what a what a strong family is and you know what the hell does that even mean and you know we know what he thought it meant you know and that's what the construct is right um and but all of these things are changing you know at breakneck speed um your book is a huge reminder of all of those changes um and you know so so maybe expand more on you know the constructs and the need for them to be broken down. The truth is, you know, we have all these ideas. I think we we all we all know uh, so many of them. We've all been through. And anyone anyone who's I'm 43 years old. So if you're close to my age, you've probably been through that like cycle of your uh, of your 20s and 30s where you go, oh crap, I've been trying to conform with all the pressures that I thought mattered, and they didn't make me happy. And you sort of have to find what you really want for yourself. And that's sort of a normal thing at this point. That I think a lot of people go through, you know, we call it sometimes midlife crisis, um, um, when it, um, th- things like that, uh, you know, there's a whole industry, right. Of self-help and yoga and all these things to try sort of help you figure out how to let go of the, the, the societal pressures that may have tricked you into, uh, in, into trying to be something that doesn't fit well mm-hmm. to you. Um, and then of course we have a ton of them when they come to family, right? What does it mean to be a father, which is what I was really interested in in father figure what are all those social narratives about what that, that we play into about what it means to be a good father which don't necessarily uh, resonate with the way we want to imagine ourselves or the way that we want to inter 
interact with the, the our children or our spouses or our families or just our, or just our friends. Um, um, but we don't have another model to do it. And again, back to what I was saying before, we've been shamed into it and we've been shamed yeah. into it through a whole lot of that misogynistic insults and slurs. If you again, that that locker room talk, right, that, that we all that we that we all experienced where where, you know, you can be the most innocent, gentle boy in the world and you get into a locker room and they tell you to be tougher and stop being so girly and stop being all these things. And you learn you learn to play along with that. And then that becomes this sort of goal as a father to live into this image of what you imagine to be sort of ideal masculine maturity. Um, but none of us actually feel like we're achieving it most of the time, right? Most of the time we, we, we feel like we're failing, right? Because, because the rules of masculinity are set up in such a way that only one person's supposed to be the, the dominant, uh, authority, the so-called alpha, right? So everybody else feels like I'm not really doing it. So then we're felt filled with this sense of, of, of shame that then we turn into even more of the same as we shame anyone we can in order to build ourselves up. Um, you know, we saw this with Donald Trump for years and, and um, where, where where he even, um, you know, he, you could even see his insecurity because anytime anyone dared insult him, he was like, oh, my God, they're being so mean to me. Uh, stop bullying. You know, he, he was like the first one to be like, don't bully me. And then he just turned around and bullied anyone with less power than him. And, and that's a model of what we all do um, as men on some level, often unconsciously, often inadvertently, but we're still doing it because we've been sort of socialized into this, this cycle of, of, of shame and, 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 and missed aspirations, right? Right. That, 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 that are might not even have been aspirations we actually had, but there are aspirations we thought we should have had and couldn't, couldn't necessarily necessarily meet um, that, you know, that's, that, that sadness is, is fine. That, that, that there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is when that then manifests as, uh, as anger, dominance, um, violence, of mm. course, but even emotional violence and the things that we don't necessarily think of as violence um, that, that end up hurting a lot of people around us. You know, that's where we um, I have a line in the book where I say, you know, men mansplain when where they can, because in most of their lives they can't. Right. So so so, you know, you're sitting around with your boss and mostly you have to just shut up and let him be the alpha. Right. Uh, um, or her. Um, but and then you get home and you're like, well, here I'm allowed to be the boss. So 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 you over so right. you overdo it and you're not listening to them and then you're modeling this cycle of, 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 of this cycle of shame for your children, um, and and they're just going to grow into the exact into the exact same thing. And so and so that's what I'm trying to say when I'm saying let's break the, those constructs. Are those those these sort of everyday participation in the constructs that ends up hurting ourselves and so many of the people around us? Sure. And finally, if if parents are like the front line of this kind of discussion with your kids and and this breaking down of of constructs and and whatnot I, I can't help but think that educators are like aligned just behind that 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 have a big I think role to play in this and there's a lot of debate like this is the same debate we've had on the couple past couple episodes we've been talking a lot about the 1619 project and talking mm -hmm. about you know how race is taught in class and and the you know the pushback that you're getting um, that it, that is happening in in school districts all across America about teaching critical race theory, and I can't help but think that there's a lot of similarities with this type of topic at school as well. So, how do you think educators can respond to some of these ideas? Where do you think teaching fits into? how we move forward teaching our kids, you know, <laughs> to rebuild new constructs or, or to at the very least tear down the constructs that exist. Yeah. Um, I mean, the teaching is definitely, I mean, Oh, there's a few things you said I want to comment on. I mean, one, yeah, I mean, I do think parents are the front line. I also think teachers are the front line, but I, but in saying that I also don't want to 
minimize the amount of structural and institutionalized sexism and racism that no matter how hard we change our minds until we change policies and until we change the way we yeah. organize yeah. things, right? Like, I don't want to put it on individuals because that's often becomes the, 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 the way we avoid having to ever change anything is by going, oh, well, if you just were to change your, change your thinking and your attitude, then you were, then equality would happen. And it's not, it's not that simple. Right. Um, but but again, I'm writing. I'm writing a book to parents, and there's a lot in it about teaching. As you, as you know, there's a lot in it about my experience in the classroom and why I do things in the classroom that are based on the same idea. You know, um, at the core of this book are ideas from Paulo Freire um, um, and the ideas of building critical consciousness. And this idea that the very way you know, if I were to use the classroom example, I guess I'll start with the classroom and then move it to the family. Is uh, is is you know, Freire talked about how the classroom itself was organized in such a way that that there was an expert at the at the front whose job it was to he came up he's the guy who came up with the banking model of education right who to deposit knowledge into into the students and his point there wasn't necessarily you know we talk about that often in terms of the the problem with sage on the stage and uh, but his point was more that there that 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 um, normalizes a kind of oppressor consciousness it nor it normalizes for kids is the idea that they're supposed to be uh, uh, um, subjugated, right? That there's a subjugate and a dominant, right? Um, and, and, and that in their life, they're always going to either be the teacher or the student, right? We start to normalize this model of inequality. And so you, you need to structure the classroom in a way where that's not necessarily the case right now. That's really hard to do. And I, and I again, talk about this in Father Figure a lot because on the one hand, we're, we're, we're all teachers. So we know, you know, there is some level of classroom management that requires a, a level of authority and making sure you have control of what's happening. But you also have to make sure you're not controlling the minds and the experiences of the individuals in the classroom at the same time. Well, that extends to family in the same way, right? If we build a family where, where the model is there is a, a, a patriarch at the head of the table whose job it is to be in charge of everyone else. Well, you're basically just conditioning everyone to think that that is a natural, normal role. That's that's how that's how things have to be, and that's not how things have to be. Where it is possible to build much more consensual communities of equality. And again, equality doesn't mean that there is not the person who's responsible for assigning the homework and grading the papers and managing the classroom. It just means that that is a role in in that classroom it is not the person in charge of the classroom you know i try so hard to say when i when i do talk about teaching uh, um um i try never to say my students or 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 my or my classroom because i don't like that sense of of of, of ownership it's hard sometimes you have to say it and words are just you know words it's not like it's a great sin if i if i say it or something but the idea is that i'm consciously always thinking about am i building a a, a model that that is equal in the sense that everyone has the same amount of dignity and the same amount of ability to, uh, and the same amount of autonomy, both student and teacher, both father and child, both husband and wife, both partner and partner. I mean, you know, there, we, we could, we could go through all of them, but, but that's what we have to do. And by changing those structures, we, we, you know, we start by changing them in our minds, then maybe we change them in our classrooms and in our families. And then hopefully that changes to changing the policies and, and, and the larger institutional uh, uh, structures. My hope is that if I raise a generation of, of my own children and 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 the students that I teach, that um, that 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 they will that they will not even be able to imagine uh, the the structural inequalities that 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 currently exist. Like they'll just be shocked by it and go, "This has to change tomorrow because it doesn't work." <laughs> so, Jordan, to continue the conversation, where can our audience connect with you online? Where can they go to learn more? Uh, about uh, being able to purchase Father Figure. Well, the, you can purchase Father Figure pretty much anywhere you can purchase books, or you can go to my website, which is feministdadbook.com, feministdadbook.com, feministdadbook.com. I, mean, like, you know, I like Remember it. in the old days, you had to like listen yeah. to messages like four times to get the number written down back when they were answering machines. <laughs> so feministdadbook.com, or you're, you can follow me on all of 
on every social media, I'm at Jordosh, J-O-R-D-O-S-H. Uh, that's true on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you know, anything that I, I even discovered today, that's true on Reddit. Uh, so <laughs> that's true everywhere. <laughs> awesome. Jordan Shapiro, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Sandbox is creating a learning ecosystem where educators can learn in weekly streams, bring ideas into their classrooms, collaborate with other educators, and become Sandbox ambassadors. Our goal for the stream is to show the world how low the barrier can be to teaching and learning game making through our no-code and accessible platform. Anyone can do it. Passion and education. You can feel it in the streams as we explore and share ideas around game design implementation in your teaching practice. Join the community to learn more at go.participate.com slash sandbox. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter. And I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.